Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Hey, today is the day where we are going to finish the series on Nehemiah. We've been in a series for, I don't know, how many weeks has it been? Who's counting? I'll take six. All right. We'll see. Anyway, it's about that. And so it's been a fantastic series. Uh, I think speaking prophetically, what do I mean by that? Like God is speaking into our life here and now about our lives personally and also as a church where we are heading and what he's been doing in, in rebuilding in Nehemiah. And there's been some wonderful things about it. You know, Nehemiah was just a guy that worked for the government and had a, a real uh, sense from God that he wanted to make a difference when he heard about the brokenness of his people back home in Jerusalem and probably never have been to Jerusalem, still had this burden for his people and goes back to this broken down city. The walls are broken down. They're defenseless. They're vulnerable to the enemy and he rallies a team. In fact, Nehemiah is the best book you'll ever find in history on leadership because it's incredible how this guy called from God. I just want to say that. doesn't matter what job you've got, what you do. God has a calling for your life. He has an assignment from heaven for you. And, um, and maybe many assignments, and they're all around the mission of seeing people come to know Jesus. They're all around the mission of building the local church. And no one misses out, even Nehemiah, working as cupbearer to the king. And he goes and he starts rebuilding this wall. He builds a team together. And, the ball, and, and we're, at the, we're at the very end now because we've seen the wall has been rebuilt. And last week we looked at where they don't just finish with walls, but they finish with lives and hearts, see? So it wasn't just about a physical rebuilding, but Nehemiah had a burden for the people to come back to God. They were far from God in their hearts. And who knows, Jesus said, you, can, you know, your lip, with your lips you're close to me, but your hearts, you're far from me sometimes. And we saw in chapter 9 last week how they come and they get together in that seven month of the Jewish festivals and celebrations, and they start to worship God again, and they start to confess their sin and publicly confess their sin. They have a six-hour sermon and they are there for half a day and in that time they are mourning and repenting and there's this revival of the people's hearts. And without a conviction of sin, you'll never see the revival of God in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, what is all this Jesus stuff about? It's so simple as Tom explained that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin and when you have a conviction, most people, you don't need to tell them they're a sinner. Most people, you know, there's not like a sinner club or a sinner training school that you grow up in. Most people understand that our hearts are bent towards evil and selfishness. And we worship the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And we know we need saving from our sinfulness because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so that conviction of sin grabs people. We had someone come to the Lord last week, that conviction, I need forgiveness. I need that in my life. I want to receive that free gift that cannot be earned. But who knows that when you become a Christian, there are times where you actually need to get real with God and go through seasons where you're like, man, I need to get real with God. I need to, I need to get real about this confession and repentance that we looked at last week. And I'm going to invite, uh, I love, who likes testimonies? Who likes hearing a little, we're got, going to have a little snippet of a testimony from Emma. Emma, if you're here, can you come? Thank you, Emma. She's going to be really brave. Can I grab that other mic, please? Tom, can turn it on. That'll be wonderful. Thanks, Emma. And 
Whenever a pastor says, I'm going to get someone to come up to give a testimony on confession and repentance, you, you would lean in, wouldn't you? I'd be like, huh, what are we going to hear here? But it's, be, be at peace. It's all good. Emma, thank you. You came and uh, shared with me um, just the power of how this outworked in something very specific in your life. And I thought we'd take a few moments and actually encourage the congregation. So tell us how you told me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's, it's something that Mike and I, my hubby, um, have kind of been walking in for a couple of years. Actually, stop. Can, yeah, how, long you been, how long have you been coming to church? Oh, yeah. sorry. I just, I'm yeah. interested. Yeah, how long? Um, we've been here since January. Since January, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many kids? Four. Four kids. And Mike is my husband. And, and Mike's Emma. your husband. Yeah. One, four. I just want to just say, sorry, I'll give no context, but just want to okay. say thanks. Great having you and your family part of our church. So, yeah. yeah thank you. Go for it. Um, yes, so something that God had been walking Mike and I out for a couple of years was the importance of repentance and confession. Mm. And we have been seeing him almost, um, if there's areas of our life that it, lives have, that have been almost um, like blocked off, like and we'd be praying and we'd be asking for something to change and we just wouldn't see anything happen. In other areas, absolutely, but there'd just be these areas of like stuckness. And so we really started approaching God more like as a judge where if you imagine going into a courtroom, standing before a judge who is most holy and we come in, these wretched sinners, and we've got a, you know, a case before him, which is like, you know, God, this area of our life is really stuck. Like, what do we do? And then we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us about, is there any sin, any, you know, any area of our heart that is like um, really lacking righteousness, which is obviously all of our heart, but what specifically? And then we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us about what is it that's going on here? Where have I, my, has my heart not been right with you? And then obviously we just plead guilty because there's nothing, we can't prove ourselves worthy. We stand there like, yeah, I'm a complete wretched sinner. But Jesus mm. comes in as our witness, as you imagine in a courtroom, and he stands for us and says, actually, I call this person completely forgiven. And I mean, the power of the emblem is like nothing else in that moment. So anyway, so that's what we had been kind of outworking. And we've seen instances of we've come and repented and then like, like in the spiritual realm, something will break and then in the physical, we'll see manifestation of it. And so what I approached Brad about was, because last week I was sitting there going, yes, this is exactly what we're seeing. And so recently, Hubby and I had started a new business over in the States, um, an Amazon business, only a few months in, um, things were sort of ticking along quite well. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, just our whole business got shut down. Amazon emailed us and said, your account has been suspended, which means stops irrespective of how much money you've put in, whatever, stopped. But then it happened to quite a few people, including our coaches over in the um, East Coast, just like, and their business is like huge, just nothing stopped until we were the same, stopped. And then all these people started coming out. Yep, our business, were the same, blocked. And so Mike and I are like, does this mean that maybe God doesn't want us to go any further? Perhaps this is his grace. Um, and so we just, you know, just kind of held it before him, did all the right stuff you're supposed to do that Amazon tells you to do, fill out the paperwork, whatever, but nothing would happen. And our coaches had done the same thing, nothing. Amazon was like, nah, you're done, huge. And so Mike and I were like, okay, perhaps we need to consider, has there been an area of sin here that is almost creating like a legal right for the enemy to stop this thing? And, and so that's how we approached God. We came before him. And remember oh, sorry. Gary? Remember Gary? Was yes. That... Yes, yeah, sorry. And so Gary, um, the we, prophet, who came a couple night. of, in August, mm. um, said to two key things to Mike and I. One, that we would be like foremen on a construction site, which we completely translated as 
ha having a business and having moving parts in a team. But he also spoke to us about being policy changers. And I knew straight away that that was referring to this approach coming to God. There's a case before me, a policy against me, and, in, and it's, it's stopping me. Let's change the policy. Jesus is going to change the policy so that we are now walking in freedom rather than mm. under a curse. Is that what you were yeah, referring to? Yeah, just the prophetic line of those. Yeah, amazing. yeah. Mm. Yes, so that's... So the, um, Coming back to the Amazon stuff, um, yeah, we were like, okay, where's this? Po there's a policy against us, literally in the in the in the physical, like literally, they're telling us that we've done something wrong, which we hadn't. But then in the spiritual, just something doesn't feel right. So we were both praying, and then one night, Mike went for a big walk for an hour, and he just did that that same process. If I come before you, Judge, Holy Spirit, convict me. Where has my heart not been right in this place? And when you ask, He will tell you. And the Holy Spirit just started bringing up all these things for both of us where we just, you know, our hearts weren't right. And I mean, our, our hearts are never right. You know, they always lead us astray. Where, but where can we ask for forgiveness, God? And brought all this stuff up, ask Jesus to come. And there's nothing like standing there and actually just being so wretched and then the Holy Spirit just coming, as Jesus coming and just making you clean. And that's yeah. how we felt. And so Mike prayed that at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., we got an email from Amazon, your account has been reopened, right? <laughs> like we hadn't done anything in the yeah. physical. Praise God. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no one else had had theirs that happen. So yes. I don't know how many people, like a couple of hundred people, Amazon's just, including our coaches, and the people were emailing Mike, well, how did you do that? Like, <laughs> what, seriously, because we need to get this thing happening. And our answer was prayer. Mm. Yeah. So we're, uh, and now our business is back on, back running and thriving. And, um, and we continue that heart of like, if, even each day, just like, where is my heart not being right? What can I repent of? Like, so yeah, mm, we just think so repentance good. and confession just is incredible. So good. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. No Thank you for sharing. Give a round of applause. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Love hearing stories. I think it's just a powerful thing. And just the power of confession. The word confession means agreement that we agree with. And just the power, the Bible says that um, when we confess our sins, when we come into agreement with God, uh, to Him, uh, you know, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. And that, I just love that, that testimony of saying, hey, it's, not, it's not, not about living under this sort of dark condemnation of what's wrong with me all the time. It's about being open before God and saying, Lord, I know you've got open doors for my life. I know you've got places for me to go. I know you've got business opportunities. I know you've got ministry things. And I just, I want to be free to move where you want me. So thanks for sharing that. That was wonderful. And out of that, uh, we come to the last part of Nehemiah. And I'm actually going to skip over to chapter 13. So if you've got your scrolls, your tablets, your texts, your phones, and aren't on Facebook, Instagram, go to Nehemiah chapter 13 and go there in the Hebrew, not really, go there in any version you like and we're going to look at Nehemiah 13 to conclude this um, because we've just seen this awesome revival we've seen this awesome revival hearts are revived so you would just think awesome that's a great ending who likes stories and movies that finish well I like them I like movies and we're in a culture that finish well unfortunately the Bible is more like horror movies that don't always finish well because it's the raw real truth and it often points to our humanity. And we see that things are going so well. God's people are revived. Nehemiah had been there for about 12 years. And remember, he was always going to go back to his government job. He was always going to go back at the appointed time. So he leaves and goes back and leaves the people. I don't know if you're a parent in the room and you've ever been with your children and given them instructions and say, hey, while I'm not here... Keep doing 
the right thing. Like imagine if you, I don't know, had a couple of children um, playing. Imagine Sky had a couple of friends over yesterday, just hypothetically, and they're they're playing and doing all good things. But Sky said, look, just be careful with what you're doing there because something could go wrong. And then Sky leaves and I get home a bit later and she's like, um, we need to talk about the TV. I said, why? What's wrong with the TV? Well, the TV's now broken. <laughs> I promised the girls I'd tell that story and mention their names, but I won't mention their names. But it's interesting. I don't know if you can relate to being on the parent side or the kid side because I can really relate to the kid side of when my parents, I'll never forget... I'll never forget when they said, right, you're looking, Michael and Bradley, that's my older brother, don't look after your sister at the pool, she's younger than you, at the local swimming pool and muck and boodin and look after her. Anyway, we were having a wow of a time and next minute we're off over to the bike place with our mates and all that and we're doing, having fun and then we walk home and we're walking home and I just suddenly realised mum and dad are standing there with our sister, very angry. We forgot her and left her. See, in the absence of leadership, sometimes we go astray. I got a few days off school, though. That's all right, because I got belted really hard. Anyway, <laughs> true story. Another sermon. Um, and often without strong leadership, we go astray in our life. And Nehemiah's gone, and we get to chapter 13, and unfortunately in chapter 13, the kids have gone bad again. They've, got, they've, they've rebelled again. They've gone against everything. See, in chapter 9 and 10 and 11, they'd made a covenant, a promise to God that right, we're living for you now. We're on track for you. I don't know if you've ever made a promise to God. I actually physically one day got on my hands and knees and drew a line in the sand and I prayed on my knees and I said, Lord, from now on, as I cross this line, there's about three things I'm not going to do anymore. I'm not going to be in this sinful thing anymore. As I cross over, I'm making a promise to you. And I tell you what, I went awesome for about one week. And then you fall back often into these things. It's called, in a Christian term, backsliding. That without strong leadership in our life, we can often backslide into the things that once uh, held us down, held us captive, even the things that would put us into slavery, spiritual slavery, that we are not free in God. And this is what has happened with the people of God as Nehemiah has gone back to, um, to the, uh, the king uh, and he's suddenly... Uh, see, here's the thing about the Christian life. Either, you're either going forward or you're going backward. There's no such thing as neutral. You're not just standing still. It's either one or the other. And God wants us to be a people that press on. And we see here in verse 6 of verse 13, uh, chapter 13, I'm going to jump around a bit, so stay with me. It's, Nehemiah says this, But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, all this was the kids playing up and going against God and getting off track again. I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Think about it, how the book starts with Nehemiah going to Jerusalem with a burden on his heart for broken people is how the book ends. This is not a great happy ending. He's going back to Jerusalem with a burden on his heart and the people are starting to obviously realize their sin because there's a guy called Malachi who was the prophet 
And you remember Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament before we get to the New Testament? And he was the one that would have been preaching to God's people. If you read the four chapters of Malachi, he didn't hold back. He's pretty full on and he's telling them to turn around. You're going back to the things that you used to do. All this sin used to get you in slavery. Why are you doing it again now? You're not being generous with the temple. You're not being generous with your your finances. You're um, You're defiling things. And so he's speaking into the life of them. And Nehemiah's heading back there to the this place to this people who have backslidden and without I say it again without great strong leadership of Jesus in our life we are prone to backslide also without great people around us that's why we have the family of God that's why we have church that's why I need leaders in my life I need accountability in my life because without that strong leadership I'm prone just to fall back into the bad habits, the bad ways, the backslidden stuff. And it's that leadership that Nehemiah brings. See, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, Christians that are like, well, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need the family of God. That's like saying to Jesus, I love you, but I hate your bride. Imagine saying that to somebody, going up to them and saying, I really like you, but I can't stand your missus. <laughs> They'd be a bit offended, wouldn't they? People say, oh, I love Jesus. I hate the church. Well, it's the same thing as saying that. If we're his bride. And we're, not, we're a bit of a broken one at times, aren't we? And he's into the rebuilding to build us up to be the bride that he's coming back for, that is pure and faultless in, in Jesus we are. Hallelujah. So this last chapter is all about, I want to give you a few, just three, three, three sort of key thoughts about responding to a heart that sunk back, responding to lives that sink back. And we start in verse 1, says this, On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned that curse, the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. What is that first bit about? Well, it's all about God's people made a decision and realized the sin that they were being influenced by the pagan culture and people around them. What does pagan mean? The people that are not following God. The ungodly influences have come in and they had let them come in, even though they had promised a few chapters earlier, make a new commitment. Often we make that new commitment. They're not going to influence my life anymore. But they had let them come back in. They were called to be set apart. See, we are called to be, as, the, as we know this saying, in the world, but not of the world. You heard that one? Jesus said, oh, you're going out into the world, but there should be something different about your life. And that's what's happening here. It's like, where's the difference gone? And the question we should always ask ourselves, are we influencing others or are others influencing us? In that group that you're involved in, are you making an influence or are they influencing you towards a, a, a culture that is not healthy, that is not good? See, I'm, I'm all of the opinion that we should not be a church that hides away in a holy huddle, holds hands and sings kumbaya till Jesus comes back. I'm a big believer that we should be out there in the marketplace, in the places where the tax collectors, where the sinners, where other people are, where people that struggle just like us are, where the sports clubs are, where the bars are, whatever it is, whatever we're meant to be in the world, going out to restaurants, things like that. But we should be a people that when we're in those places, we, it's like when Jesus touched leprosy, leprosy left, it didn't get on him. So when we go into those places, we should be infecting them with God, with goodness, with hope, with love, with joy, not coming away 
with, oh man, I now really feel tempted to sin now. If you're going into environments and relationships where you're like, gee, I, f- I really feel enticed to go down a wrong path now, uh, that's not going to be you getting influenced, uh, sorry, you influencing them. And this is what's happening here. They're like, come on, get back to, um, get back to influencing others for God. Make sense? Let's go on to verse 4, because this is a a couple of key things. I entitled verse 4, don't give the enemy an apartment in your building. Here it goes. Before this, so so they've, before this, uh, how do you say this? Eliashib, the priest, good baby name, anyone looking for baby names, just saying Eliashib, (laughs) the priest. So he had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. Now he was closely associated with Tobiah. Where have we heard that? If you've been following the journey, Tobiah, we don't like that name. That's an enemy. He was trying to stop the work of God. He was an enemy to the work of God. He was trying to basically get rid of Nehemiah and the building program. But he was associated now closely with the priests. The devil loves going to church, by the way. He loves going to church because he wants to get in and divide and destroy. Verse 5, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. Nehemiah comes back and discovers that God's house, God's temple had been forsaken and this broke his heart because in Nehemiah 10.39 they promised we will not neglect the house of God. He was shocked to discover that Tobiah, of all people, his main, one of his main opponents was living in Jerusalem. He was not just in Jerusalem, but he had got a room in the temple itself. He had been invited there by the priest, and uh, he was, uh, Eliashab decided to take the chambers that were meant for the offerings for the priests, clear it out, and say, Tobiah, come in. And I tell you what, this was not good, and For us today, we don't build temples and worship in temples and things like that. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple. God came, God's whole goal, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to get on the inside of your life and start a revolution from the inside out. And so when he comes and lives on the inside of you, you are now his temple. And the enemy would love to come and get a room in the temple. He'd love to take up residence and start, start with somewhere up in the capacity of your thinking and start to change the way that you think and, and form some thoughts that are not of God. And that's why we need to renew our mind according to the Word of God so regularly. So what? verse 8, jump down to verse 8 because I'm not going to do every verse or so we'll be here until the beach social is over. But verse 8 says this, I was, Nehemiah said, I was greatly displeased. That is an understatement. The Bible says he was very very bitterly upset so what does he do before I read it so far Nehemiah just seems like a really cool guy yeah he's like an awesome man of God he's like a leader man I just he's great let's see what he does so I threw all Tobias household goods out of the room he's going in there and he's getting all his stuff and he's like get out and he's going he's like clearing it all out And he gave orders to purify the rooms. Then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Nehemiah does something that reminds us of another guy in the New Testament called Jesus when he goes into the temple and he's not happy with how it's been defiled and he starts tearing it up in righteous anger. And Nehemiah gets so angry, you're going to see later on, he even scalps people and he beats some guys up like this guy. 
He's, he's not happy with what's going on, but he starts ripping all the stuff out because he doesn't want the enemy to have an apartment in God's plans. And either do we. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give an apartment, give place to the devil. When we give place to the devil, a little interesting, maybe similar to Emma's testimony, is that giving access to say, I know God's word says this about this part of my life, but I just, I don't, I'm, I'm going to sort of go over here and go a different way with this part of my life. And suddenly the enemy gets access. I'm not saying that, he's, uh, that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying anything like that. But you're being influenced by maybe yourself, maybe the lust of the flesh, maybe the enemy. And God's plan's not there. And so what's happened here is the enemy is trying to get room in the temple. And I want to say it hasn't changed today. He would love to get you to agree with things that give him room in your life. Well, I never have to forgive that person. You don't understand what they've done. Never have to. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm forgiven, but I don't have to forgive, really. That's going to hold your prayers back. That's going to hold your life back. You're going to be, you know, that's going to, you're going to be in this prison of unforgiveness, and God wants you free. He wants you set free to live for Him. I love how, Tobi, um, how Nehemiah just starts throwing all his stuff out, and just let's self-reflect for a sec. Are there things that need to be thrown out? Today, things you need to get ruthless with, things that you need to start, hey, that can't be in my life. I need to throw that out of my life because it is defiling the temple of God. It is not healthy for my life. But notice then also he said, I put back in the things that were meant to be there. What do you need to put back in your life? See, when we fill our life with the right things, when you fill your life with the word of God, the purposes of God, the love of God, the fellowship of other Christians, when you fill your life with the right things, then there's no room for the enemy to come in and take up residence. Does that make sense? Let's be ruthless when it comes to getting back on track. If you want to maintain revival and avoid that backslidden stuff, it's about not giving the enemy room. And then Nehemiah prays these peppercorn pr- these like prayers. In verse 14, jump down there. He says, Remember me for this, O God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. He often keeps saying, remember me, God. Remember me for this. And then he moves on in verse 15. Jump down there. There's another area. He addresses three areas in this chapter. And the second one is about prioritizing time for God and God's people. It says, in those days I saw people in Judah treading the winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with the wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And as they were bringing all into Jerusalem on the Sabbath... See, on the Sabbath, this is they promised. They made a promise that they wouldn't do that. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre and all who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. Verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? So the problem he sees here, this might sound a bit foreign from us when we talk about a Sabbath, but for them it was very profound. They were making wine, they were making profit on the Sabbath, they were trading. Um, And without the Sabbath, back then, Israel would lose its distinctiveness and eventually fade into all the other nations. This was something that set them apart, that they were people that worshipped God. Previous generations were actually forced into captivity from ignoring keeping the Sabbath for long periods of time. So this, to Nehemiah, was a danger that they had promised they would fulfill, and if they didn't, it could impact generation after generation after generation and so for us today we don't we don't 
um, keep a Sabbath. But the principle for us is the same, that the Sabbath, Jesus said, was not made for man. Sorry, man was not made. So how does he say it? Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, having a day off is good for you. In other words, having a day to set aside to fellowship, to come together, to be with God's people, to hear from God, to set your day apart is a healthy thing. Everything in your life, we can't just go full on seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's just going to burn out and God knows that. That's why God did it. When God created the heavens and the earth and created everything for six days, it said on the seventh day he rested. Now he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And we step into the finished work of God. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we actually live in rest. But practically and physically speaking, are you taking time out to, to focus on the things of God? Are you taking time to keep your life in spiritual check? This will avoid backsliding. This will avoid uh, going backwards. Hebrews puts it this way in uh, number 10, verse 25, I think it is. He says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting and encouraging one another more and more as we see the day approaching, as we see Jesus coming back. Now, when you think about it, this time in history was just before the Old Testament finished. Nehemiah, this would be the last part of history, chapter 13, before the, um, the Old Testament concludes. And then there's what we call that 400 years of silence until the New Testament starts. So they're looking forward to Jesus coming, to the Messiah coming. And, and they know that keeping the Sabbath is important to keep them focused, to keep them on track, to keep them in check, to keep them in the right direction, because they're looking for the Messiah coming. And who knows today, we are looking, Jesus isn't coming back. He is on the way. Look, in the world today, He is on the way. And we come together and we fellowship and assemble ourselves because we need to be on track, ready for Jesus to return. And I think that's such an important message for us, to be ready. I don't know whether you're post-trib, Pre-trib, pan-trib, whatever trib, whatever or not trib, rapture. I just believe in be ready, trib. I just think we've got to have our lives ready. I don't want to, I don't want to debate too much about when and where. I think it's a great conversation, a great Bible study. But the essence is, are you ready? If Jesus comes back on that cloud this afternoon, if he comes to Coogee Beach this afternoon, are you ready? Is your heart ready? Are you forgiven of your sin? Are you ready to, if today was the day, to meet your Saviour, that you would meet him with a smile? We've been prayed for a wonderful lady. I'm not sure she's here today, but just praying for her and, and, and on the journey of when it's time to meet the Lord, she's ready. And to be able to say that is a powerful thing to say, I know that my life is not just in this earthly tent, this body, but my spirit, which is eternal, will take that step. See, death is not the end. Death is separation. You separate from your body into the spirit realm, into eternity. And she goes, I know Jesus is there smiling, waiting for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you say that today about your life? Keeping the Sabbath, keeping on track. And lastly, uh, lastly is um, verse 23. We're going to jump down. great way to avoid uh, backsliding is to focus on uh, good relationships. It says this, Moreover, in those days, so this is another problem that Nehemiah saw, I saw men of Judah who married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. These were their enemies. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod uh, or the language of the... Sorry, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah into marriage that they had promised. They made a covenant that we're not going to marry the enemies of God. We're not going to intermingle. 
I heard a quote that said, no, I won't go there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'll get to it. So this is what Nehemiah did that in this intermarriage stuff going on. He says, I rebuked them and called a curse down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. That's in the Bible. I'm not saying what he's doing is right. Just because it's in the Bible, by the way, doesn't mean that God agrees with everything. This is just, that's why I love the Bible. It's real, it's raw, and it just tells it as it is. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you, are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that, catch this, Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Solomon was known as the wisest man on the face of the earth, yet he sinned how? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Someone once said, she might look hot, but so is hell. Um, <laughs> it wasn't me, but someone did say that. They needed to be around for Solomon then. Must... Nehemiah goes on, must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and being unfaithful to our God by marrying a foreign woman? One of the sons of Jediah, son of Elishab, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, another enemy, the Horonite. Watch what Nehemiah does. I love it. He's like a great spiritual dad. I drove him away from me. He's like, this, you know, this guy's getting in on the family. He's like, I'm going to be that uncle. I'm going to be that guy. I'm getting out. And he's running out. Get out. Don't come near any of our girls ever again. I love him. He's like looking after them. Remember me then, he says. So sorry, this is where he says not remember me. He says, remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Last little bit. So I purified the priests and the Levites and everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own task. See, he just sets everything up, gets it back in order. Come on, this is the way to go, leadership. I also made provision for the contributions of wood and designated times for the first fruits. Remember me with favour, oh my God. And this is the sort of last point I want to finish on, and it might sound out of whack in our culture today and weird, but hopefully you can get where it's coming from. Sometimes it's hard preaching the Old Testament and bring it into today's context. But the problem he encountered was this marrying with the Ashdod, the Ammons, the Moabites and all them termites, all the ones that were, were not good for the people of God. And so this intermarriage and, and it gets close to home. And the fallout is from these marriages was that half the children could not speak the language of Judah. So concerned Nehemiah as he was because the children couldn't learn about God and his covenant if they couldn't speak the language. If they lost their language, they lose their ability to carry on the history, the, the, um, the promises and covenant of God to be articulated to the next generation. This was so important. And I want to say to us today, marriage and relationships, your key relationships, who you go into business with, who you go into a direction with, is so important. And I'm not saying that if you're married to a non-Christian, go and get divorced. I would never say that. The Bible actually talks about winning them over with your lifestyle. But if you're looking at getting married, the Bible is really clear that two people that are going in different directions can't go the same way. And so anyway, I love this scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 in the New Testament. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is far deeper than just saying, don't marry a non-Christian. There's so much more to it. But it says this, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with 
Belial. Uh, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell with them and walk with them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. It says, don't be yoked together. That's a farming term. I like farming and shearing terms. And yoke. When you yoke two animals together in a yoke, they need to be yoked together in a way that they're not going to fight against each other, but they're going to go in the same direction. And when it comes to doing life with somebody forever, it is so important that you're going in the same direction spiritually. And I don't, can't quote it because I can't remember it, but in my research this week, uh, it was an American study about one of the biggest things that do tear relationships, marriages apart is when two people are, are devoted and committed wholeheartedly to two different faiths or two different religions because it pulls them apart. Because it's not a religion here that we have at Kalamunda. Following Jesus is our whole life. It is who we are. It is where we're going. And so how could I be with somebody? Do you want to hear a bit of my history? Sky loves hearing about my old girlfriends in church. So, <laughs> I, no, I remember when I first fell in love, I thought I was going to win her over to Jesus. Flirt to convert, baby. <laughs> I really did. In fact, within one week of knowing her and me going head over heels maybe one month, I, she came to my baptism. I thought, awesome, she's at my baptism. This is it. This is the one for me. <sighs> anyway, about a month later, a month later when my youth leader rang me and said, Brad, you're not coming to youth anymore. You don't come to church anymore. Where are you going? I didn't tell him. But I was spending most times down at the Raffles Pub back when the, the Magnificent Seven used to play on a Friday night. So I wasn't going to youth and we were having a wow of a time. Developed a new group of friends who weren't a part of the youth. I actually told that youth leader, please don't ring me anymore. You're getting really annoying. And uh, I still love God, but I'm, I'm going in a different way. Who knows, that ended up being the worst two years, one of the worst two years of my life. And the, the, the ending of that was so bad. And I tell you what, I'm so blessed today to the, to the woman that I'm married to. I thank God for some unanswered prayers, as Garth Brooks once said. I thank God for the unanswered <laughs> But I tell you what, it tore me apart. I went through some things that were so, the consequences for my life in that time were not healthy, were not good. Why? Because we were not yoked together. And I was pulled in that direction, not the other way around. And that's often what happens. And if you want to live for the Lord, find someone that loves Jesus, but that's not just the only thing. There needs to be way more than that, hey? That's going in the same direction. And this is what he's saying here, Will, um, was uh, well, sort of another sermon there, went off track, sorry, but yeah, yoking together, going in the same direction, it's so important to have marriages that are on track together for God. And that doesn't mean they're perfect. If there's any perfect marriages in here, can you start a seminar next week, because I'll be the first one to line up, you know? We've been married coming up 20 years in January, and it's the, uh, definitely been the best 20 years of Sky's life, so it's really good. I used that one when I think I got inducted in here, but anyway. The team can come back up. We're going to finish with a song uh, and get ready to put the, the swimming togs on and uh, get into it. But I want to finish with this last verse. It says, half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod. Thanks, Chase, by the way. I probably won't go to my last slide, so I'm going to finish here, mate. But thanks for... Good on you, Chase, too, helping out with the, um, doing a great job. Haven't been there long. It says this, half the children spoke the language and half of them spoke the other language and they did not know the language of Judah. This is what I want to say as we conclude Nehemiah, as we conclude this series. I really hope that God has spoken to your life through it. I really hope that you've been challenged about what are you building and what are you battling for. 
really hope that as a, as a church we take away some key things. But one of the key things I take away is this last thought that Nehemiah did not want to see a generation lost. He's like, man, they're losing the language. And our heart here at Kalamunda is that we carry on the language of the kingdom of God that the next generation know Jesus, that this is a place where, you know, anyone is welcome. We love everyone coming to all of our ministries. Youth on Friday was pumping of nearly 70 young people here. Something like just the going off and the things that Tim and the team are doing is just incredible. And, uh, and our church is growing with the AGM coming up and we've done some looking at where God's moving and, and where it's growing. It's so exciting. But one of our key things is come on board with us on this journey, but we don't want to lose the next generation. We want to see them know their God, see them speak the language of God, see them understand and, and be equipped to become all that God wants them to be. Why? Because when parents and good leadership is away, we drift, we go away. So we need to be a church of strong, not just me, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about all of us, of strong leadership in the direction that God is calling us to go. Standing against the enemy, intentionally seeking God and intentionally serving Him together. I'm going to pray a blessing over us as I do. And as I always say, if you're here this morning and you just, you're not a Christian and you would like to find out more or give your heart to the Lord, I'm available. Our prayer team will be available. Our leaders are available. We'd love to talk to you on that journey. This is a safe place to go on a faith journey with God. And we would love to be able to help you with that. A couple of closing challenges. Would you close your eyes if you're comfortable to? If you don't want to, that's fine. Just if you're comfortable to close your eyes. Has Tobiah, the enemy, wormed his way into your life and now sits enthroned somewhere where Jesus should be? Is that temple of your heart, of your life, the Holy Spirit, is it cluttered up with all of the enemy's stuff that he's trying to put in there, all his defilement? And maybe this morning, do you need to throw some stuff out? Do you need to throw some stuff out? Some attitudes, some thoughts, some behaviours, some compromises? Some of the things that are diminishing your first love for Jesus and you're like, yeah, I need to throw them out. And last little thought to challenge you with is, Nehemiah kept saying, remember me, oh my God, for good. And what will you be remembered for? If you did it, were to meet Jesus today, what would you be remembered for? Father, I just come before you and just want to pray a blessing over our, every person gathered. But also with that blessing, Lord, throw out that challenge of well, what would we be remembered for as a church? May we be remembered that we didn't get off track. We didn't start building idols while leadership's away, so to speak. We didn't start going in the wrong direction. But we kept the main thing, the main thing, and kept on mission for you. Father, I just pray for people, for myself included, Lord, for areas where the enemy's trying to set up camp in my life. 
that we would be aggressive in the power of God. So you cannot do it on your own. I told a story before when I stepped over that line and lasted two weeks. Why? Because you cannot change. I cannot change. We need the power of God's Spirit to change. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And this morning, if you need change in your life, don't think about what you're going to do as much as saying, yes, this is the area. I admit it. I confess it. I repent and say, I see that. I thank you that Jesus is my advocate. He stands in the gap that I'm forgiven. But Holy Spirit, help me change. Empower me for change. And He will give you the power to change. So I speak that over every person here this morning, Father. As we worship you in this last song, would you just maybe take us to that room where Emma spoke about, Father, that even though there's areas of our life that you're working on, we know that Jesus stands in the gap, has forgiven us and cleansed us. And now we pray for your spiritual power to see the change. Would you stand with me?